But there's no standard. It's just depending on how fast you can transition, how big the parcel fees are. Obviously, the bigger the parcel fees, the longer he or she needs to stay on. The smaller the parcel fees could only take a few months to transition. You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 202 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Clarks for sponsoring this episode. It is a seller's market out there. Medium and large accounting practices are out there hunting for baby boomer accountants ready to sell. For every practice, there are around 100 buyers, give or take a few dozens. But why this frenzy and why would you join them? And even if you wanted to join them, how would you? How do you actually buy a parcel of fees? Ed Chen of Wise Mentoring and Chen and Naylor kindly agreed to answer these questions. Chen and Naylor was nominated as Australia's fastest growing accounting practice in 2007, 2008 and then again in 2013 when its revenue grew by 43% to almost 19 million, mainly through acquisitions. And Chen and Ayla hasn't stopped since then. It is constantly on the lookout for more accounting practices to acquire. So acquisitions clearly work for them. And if it works for them, would it also work for you? This is the question I asked Ed Chen, and here's his answer. If you do it by word of mouth, it's very slow. Like I... I was growing quite fast. I was getting three to four new clients a week from word of mouth. And this is when I first started. And I ended up then working 100 hours a week. I was just just drowning. Uh, that's what started this whole thing. But that's through word of mouth. Now, when you're small, you, that's the only way that you can grow is through word of mouth because you don't have the resources to you know, advertise. And advertising... There's no guarantees because you can you can throw ten thousand dollars at something and you may not get ten thousand dollars back. In fact, you may not get anything back. So you know, like I've been there, done that. When you go buy a parcel fees, if you spend a dollar, you get a dollar back. So it's guaranteed. So at the moment, the industry is changing because the baby boomers are retiring and they're getting older. And because of the GFC, they, I thought they would have retired 10 years ago. I, I made a statement uh, 10 years ago. I thought that, you know, the baby boomers will be retiring in the next 10 years. That was 10 years ago. But they didn't. And But they didn't in the numbers that I thought they would. And it's because the GFC came. And when the GFC came, they had to stay. They lost money in the stock market. And then they had to stay on and work a bit longer. Plus, this kind of work that they do is not physical. And we're living longer and we're healthier than we are. Like when I compare me at my age with my dad at his age, like I feel like I'm 20 years younger than he is at his age, at the same age. So if you add the two together, they didn't retire, but they're, they're starting to retire now. So we're out there buying constantly and um, we're getting a lot more inquiries now. So I'd send out a, I call it a rifle shot or a, a copy an advertising email, like we've got a database of 10,000 accounting firms and I regularly send out a um, 
email to them and saying, you know, if you're thinking of retiring, let me know and we'll consider buying you. And then you can save a whole lot of money in brokerage because they've got to pay a, a broker mm. to sell the Where practice. do you get the email addresses from? You already know them personally or you go to their website? How do you get into contact uh, with them? There's a, uh, we bought it. Can't I said you bought a database. A database, yeah. And also you can go to the tax agent board or the tax practitioners board and all their names are there. Um, but they don't have the email addresses, so you, you have to... And they don't have the age. No age, yes. But they are all there, and I think they've even got their phone numbers. So you'd have to ring the receptionist and say, you know, who's the principal, can I get their email address, and then you can send... Does the Adobe man usually give you the email address? Uh, <laughs> uh, not always. They always say, what's it about? And then you can say, oh, I need to send him something. I must admit, I haven't done it, but uh, Brenton has. He got a um, person, a helper, to do that. So I'm not sure how, how successful that was. Yeah, but, but we ended up in Wise, we ended up with about 8,000 accountants with a combination of uh, different methods. Brenton had a small database. I had my database. We went to the tax practitioner's board picking up names, business cards, you know, so we've built it up to about 8,000 now. I see. So you reached out to other accounting practices for two reasons. A, you're looking to buy accounting practices, but also B, because you wanted to talk to them about whys. Yes, two different things, two things in terms of channel. In the early days, we we're looking for joint venture partners, you know, officers that would join us, but they still retain the practice and we bought like 25% of them. So we had an equity interest in them. And then they joined us, changed their name, and we marketed and got uh, new clients for them. And then in the later years, now that our offices are established, except for Adelaide, I still want an office in Adelaide. We haven't got one there. So in the later years, we've just uh, we've got all our offices established. I didn't want to grow any bigger, so I, I just wanted to grow those offices. And the best way to grow, which is my advice to you, is to go out and buy a parcel fees. So if you go out and buy 400 grand, it's normally a dollar per dollar. So if it's a dollar per dollar, it's 400,000, you pay 400 grand, you get 400 grand revenue back straight away. It may even come with some staff, which is the most important thing. The, the two most important things is the clients and the staff. All right, so, and it's instant, like you boom, you're up there like this and you don't have to wait years and years. It's very cost effective because the cost of goods sold to produce it, if I did a tuck in here, the cost of goods sold is about 40%. So that means there's 60% profit. And then you, normally you take your fixed overheads out of out of the 60%. But because our fixed overheads are already here, you're not replicating rent and receptionists and all that kind of stuff, then there's no fixed overheads. So your profit is 60%. So I don't know of any investment that gives you a 60% return. Right. If you can fit the extra staff into, into your, your practice. Into your yes. practice. And because of outsourcing today in this age, your cost of goods sold will only be because you hire the staff over there, no fixed overheads, and your cost of goods sold drops to you know, even 20%. So you're 80% profit So because there's no fixed overheads. You, you just outsource that work and then uh, you pay – the equivalent of $80,000 salary here, you pay about twenty grand over there. So that's the comparison. So it's very, very profitable. So those numbers I quoted you is very conservative because 
I haven't used outsourcing in there as a quote. So when I say 40% cost of goods sold, that's using local stuff, not overseas stuff. So your cost of goods sold would go down significantly as you increase the number of offshore staff. Correct. And as you increase your turnover. So if you want to get into this, you know, the best way by far, because there's three ways to grow your business. One is digital marketing, which is what our Ricky does. One is if you've already got a database, you go to that database and sell more services to them. And the third way is acquisition. And now, if I can compare it with an investment property, because we do investment properties here, you could pay that loan off. If you borrowed 400 grand, you could pay that loan off in about four years, pay the principal off in four years. That's like buying an investment property and the tenant pays you so much rent that not only can you pay the interest on the loan, but you can pay the principal off in four years, right? That's phenomenal. Right? That's like, I don't know any investment that can do that for you. And if you did this with the, if you bought the fees, that's why we're buying, buying, buying. And it's a beautiful time because the baby boom is now retiring. So now when I do a an EDM out there, before I'd get zero responses. What is an EDM? Oh, electronic, um, you know, sending an email out to all the accountants. In the old days, I'd get zero response <laughs> or one, and he or she would be mainly a tie kicker. They, they weren't really interested. I was just curious. But we just did one recently for Pimble, Melbourne, Parramatta, and we got eight responses. So that's in terms of comparing with what we're doing, the timing seems to change. And a lot of brokers are starting to say the same thing. They're starting to see more. Because there's always been a... a, um, Bias a, a seller's market. A seller's market, yeah. I mean, for every seller, you'd get a 100 buyer. Having said that, though, why they don't sell really fast is because they're like the buyer and the seller need to match. For example, most sellers would go, I want you to move your practice into my practice, right? But then most buyers want to move the seller's practice into the buyer's practice. Then there's, yes, I want to sell, but I don't like you as a person because you're not going to be compatible with my clients. Or you run this like a big corporation and I've been running it like face-to-face with my clients. Like a family. Like a family and it doesn't match. Or there's all these idiosyncrasies that even though there's more buyers and sellers, you don't end up like this. So you end up. Uh, taking a, a little bit while to sell, but it's not long, long time. Now, once you get above a million dollars in fees, it takes a bit long, longer, longer because it's not as many people with a million dollars to pay. And uh, also, especially in Sydney and Melbourne, the young ones have a mortgage. So you know, most people have a minimum of 600 grand mortgage if, you, if you're you know, living in Sydney um, because just a unit will cost you 800000 And... Um, to have 600 grand mortgage and then to have the capacity to borrow further to buy these fees, it makes it much, much harder. But without any question, you know, if you had the capacity, if you really felt that and your passion was the practice, then that's a really good way to get you right up there really quick. And it's it's a really good database. Like if you did it by marketing and advertising, the clients that you get, I find, are a hit and miss, meaning that they left their accountant and they're looking for a new accountant, and generally it's for two reasons. One is that accountant was really bad or they're really bad as a client. 
and, and there's some shocking clients out there, you know, like you, you wouldn't go near them if you, you knew. go near them. Yeah, they're just they're just toxic and terrible. And so it's those two reasons. And normally, what happens when you advertise, you get this client come to you, and you don't know whether he's a good client or a toxic client, and you don't know that for about a year or two years. So a year into the relationship, you find out he's a toxic client. You take another year to try and move him out or her out. So it damages your, it will consume your time and frustrates you for two years before you move them back out. And that's when you advertise for clients right? because you don't know it's a, it's a hit and miss. But when you buy a set of clients, a, a parcel fees, they're all really good clients. They're all, I call them rubber cup clients, not crystal glass clients, meaning that, you know, like nobody's perfect. So, you know, every now and then you might drop the ball, you might let them down, but they're, like you bounce them on the ground, but they're rubber cups. They just bounce back up. But how do you know the, the clients you bought are rubber cup clients and are not crystal glass clients? Because they hang, they've hung around. Okay. So most people... But it might also be that the previous accountant just didn't move on crystal glass clients. Uh, no, not really, because... Uh, the Every crystal, accountant would move them on. No, the crystal glass client would have moved on. Okay. They themselves would have moved on. So it's a combination of the accountant moving them on or they moving on because they their expectations up here and most accountants deliver down here and most clients are down here like that, so it's a match. But these crystal glass clients up here, they have a heightened level of expectation of what you should do. I had this one client who said to me, you know, Ed, I expect my accountant to ring me every Monday morning and tell me how much I can spend on my groceries. <laughs> you know, like... Imagine having a client like that, you know, like the expectation of her is a lady, that her expectation of what her accountant is going to do for her. Now, obviously, no accountant out there is going to, be, is going to do it. So in her opinion... Unless, that, unless the fee is accordingly. Correct. And even if the fee is accordingly, it's, it's a really hard, you know, like it's a really... Well, I suppose if you had nothing else to do and that's all you were doing and, and it was a full-time job, then... You, and you would hire somebody to do that if the fee is high enough. But most clients see compliance as a cost, not, not as an a investment. commodity, yeah. As a commodity. So anyway, that's what I'm trying to say. Yes. Is so the crystal glass client would have moved on or the accountant would have moved them on and then they go searching. And then if you advertise, you end up with them. So I find that when you advertise for clients, 50% of them are good, 50% are bad. The percentages are quite high. When you buy parcel fees, the percentages of good clients are much, much higher. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, 90, 90%. Um, and they're rubber cup clients. They, they'll stay. They don't go, you know, they don't have this heightened level of expectation and they they have a normal expectation and uh And you can drop the ball a few times. In other words, you can bounce them on the ground a few times and no problem, you know, whereas they don't, they don't crack. And How did you come up with the word rubber cup? Is it even a word? Does that even just, exist? I don't know. Like you made it up. Just, I'm really big on, um, how do I say, the reason why I had lots of clients was they used like to. I know, I know rubber ball, but how did you come up with rubber cup? It's like a cup. And if you drop it, you know, it either not crack, a crystal glass will, will crack. Mm -hmm. But it's a cup because people drop cups and it's either rubber or it's crystal.
you know, when I was getting a lot of clients, you know, the most common thing that the new client or the new prospective client would say to me about the previous accountant, they used to say this to me. They used to say, I had no idea what he or she was saying. Didn't understand what they said. And I'd say to them, well, why didn't you just ask them? You know, just, just ask, I don't understand it. Can you explain it again? And their response has always been, oh, I was just too embarrassed. You know, I was too embarrassed to look stupid in front of them. So I just walked out of there, and they didn't understand the answer. So I spent a lot of time just honing my communication with my client. And and professionals always suffer this problem, which is they talk to themselves, meaning that they use all these language that nobody else understands, from a doctor to an IT person is, is the worst People, you know, they talk about all these things, gigabytes and this and this. Nobody understands what they're saying, but they're just talking to themselves. But to be an effective person, not necessarily an efficient person, you've got to be able to communicate with the person. And the people that sit on the other side, there's various degrees of them. There's Some of them are numbers people, and then you've got to get into, you're going to spend a lot of time with numbers. But other people who are sort of arty kind of people, you don't talk about numbers because you, their eyes will glaze over. So you've got to talk about more holistic things. So you need to know how to connect with your client. So I'd spend lots of time walking around in the mornings when I go from a walk and saying, you know, how do I explain this to the client? So things like, you know, debtors. So you don't say debtors. But if you say debtors to a layperson, they don't know what you're talking about. But So you have to say people that owe you money, right? And then or creditors, you can't say creditors to them, you've got to say people that you owe money to. Or you can't say, oh, it's a debit loan account, all right? So you've got to say, well, you took money out of the company and now you owe the company money. So I had to spend a lot of time fine-tuning my communication. And then, of course, depending on who sits in front of you, you could have a an accountant-type person or a CEO-type person in the room and a blue-collar person and then if you say to the accountant or the CEO, oh, people that owe you money, then you're actually talking down to him. And he'll say, to you, why are you talking to me like a baby? You know, you're you know, you know, treating me like a kid. And then if, if those two occupations in the same room and you're talking to them, if you say to the accountant, uh, CEO, you know, can I have a list of your debtors? Or, you know, you're, you've got a debit loan account. But then when you turn to the blue-collar worker, you have to change gears. So you have to say, oh, that the people that owe you money, you know, or you've taken money out of the company. So you have to be able to change gears, not just to be able to communicate to one person, but you have to be able to understand who you're communicating to and change gears all in the same sentence. And most people can't even communicate to one person, let alone two or three in the audience, in, in the room. So I was really good at that. And, and I knew that it wasn't rocket science because I certainly wasn't a rocket scientist. You know, there's a lot more technically strong accountants out there, but what I did really well was my communication. So in that sense, when I thought about how I was going to say things, so I thought about things like rubber cups and crystal glasses and because I'm trying to connect with the yes, audience. Yes, no, I like it, I like it. Yes, or, you know, you're out there, a finder is someone's out there catching butterflies with a butterfly net, but it's much better to create a garden that attracts the butterflies to you I tried to use terminology and expressions that the audience understood instead of just talking to myself. 
And that's the definition. That's the difference between what someone says is a good accountant and a great accountant. It's not in their technical skills. It's in their communication skills. So our client managers, we spend lots of time with them honing their communication skills and not just their technical skills. So as a minimum, they've got to have competent technical skills because if you don't have that, then you know, you're know you not going to even make it. But then we spend a lot of time with them fine-tuning their communication and not all accountants can become a client manager because some just cannot communicate. It's partly who you are and partly trained, but I think it's more 80% who you are and uh, the last 20% is a bit of training involved. But you've got to have that makeup to start off with. The purchase of parcel fees. Mm-hmm. The first one is you mentioned one-to-one. So if you buy a practice that has a million, you would put a million dollars on the table. How much would the retention usually be? I think it's at least 20%, but can go up to 40%. On right. what basis do you decide how much the retention should be? So the earnout arrangement. It's different for the buyer as it is for the seller. Obviously, the seller wants 100%. as high as yes. It's got to be a win-win for both. Okay, so the and the first person that's got to be considered, it's not the buyer and the seller, but it's the client. The client has to be a first consideration because clients don't like change. And when you make a change on the client, the client will get upset. And then if that client leaves, both sides loses. Okay, so now the situations that causes the client to leave are at the right at the top of the pecking order, Principles. It's a principle. Okay, it's so that's the a principle. principle leaving straight away. Correct. Uh, leaving straight away, correct. And the second one is the location. So if you move location, the third one is staff and way, way down the pecking order. And that means you don't take the staff on if the staff doesn't continue but the staff leaves and there's correct. a high risk that the client will leave as well. Correct. And some sometimes the staff may leave and take the clients with them. Okay. So... From the seller's point of view, the seller wants... So was wants, there a fourth one? I think I interrupted you and you were going to mention a fourth one. Uh, the brand. Ah, the brand. Okay. Yes, the brand itself. It, lots of people put a lot of value on the brand, but that's really not that important. The seller puts value on the brand. Yes. The clients don't, do the they? The clients don't. Yeah, it's more the relationship with the, the partner, the staff and the location. They're, they're important but not the brand. Because if the principal's still there and the staff is still there, then the clients will continue to come. The four factors that will influence retention, that will influence whether a client stays or leaves, are one, principal, whether the principal allows a smooth transition, mm-hmm. two, location, if the new office is close to the old office, mm-hmm. three, staff, if the staff continues, and of course the clients are more likely to stay, and then the least important of them all is force the brand. The brand. Of course, slowly the brand will change. Correct, correct. And and often they get it the wrong way around. They put, you know, the brand is the most important thing, but it is not in my experience. As long as you transition them properly and slowly, they get used to the brand. So we co-branded for the first year or so so yes. that they continue to see the old brand, but at the same time you introduce a new brand to them and then slowly you just drop off the old brand and then there's no problem. Yes. And then when you negotiate with the seller to buy a parcel fee, 
if everything looks quite strong, meaning the principal is staying on, the location is close, the staff is staying on, and the brand looks similar or is not that different, then you would have a lower retention because you're more confident that the clients will stay. If it doesn't look as promising, if the principal wants to leave as soon as possible, if the location is out of place, if the staff might leave, then you will negotiate a higher retention rate. Higher retention rate, yes, correct, yes. Now, you'll never get the four things perfect. So let me explain. Obviously, from the seller's point of view, they want 100%. From the buyer's point of view, the worst thing for a buyer is to borrow the money, and it's okay to borrow the money as long as you're buying an asset. So you've got a liability on one side, but on the other side, you've got an asset. Yes, but the but worst if thing, the client leaves, you don't have an asset. Yes. So the worst thing for the buyer is to end up with a debt and no asset on the other side. That's the worst, worst, worst position. I mean, it's already bad enough to have a debt there because it heightens the, the risk of the investment. But if you end up losing the asset and you're left with the debt, that's the worst, worst situation. So from the buyer's point of view, they want the retention to be as high and as long as possible. So in my experience, over a two-year period, so for people who want to sell, they should start the process earlier than later. So if they start two years, so the first thing is if, and in most cases, the buyer wants you to move into their premises, not the other way around. So if you're looking at the 80-20 or 80% of the time, the buyer wants the seller to move premises. So the first year, the seller would move and the principal stays in that first year. And uh, because there is already a trigger of one of those four things, which is the position. Does that easily cause conflict if you suddenly have a principal in the new office? Because the principal is very used to calling the shots in his old office to have the uh, corner office with the um, high boss chair and the everybody is yes sir and then suddenly this principal is moving into a new office where he suddenly is just the old guy who will leave anyway i can imagine that easily creates conflict yes it can but if the person's genuine the vendor the seller if he's genuine in wanting to go and most accountants that i've come across their number one concern is their, their clients if they're genuine wanting to sell and they're genuine about their clients, then they make it work. They can they can put up with that for two years. And really it's not that hard because you know they're still running their own practice, but instead of being in location A, it's now in location B and they're doing a handover. So their their intent, the contracts they've signed and what they want is to exit the practice. So they make it work. They work with the, the buyer to transition the clients across. Now, that's if everybody's genuine. Now, I've had situations where the seller wasn't genuine and uh, and that caused a whole lot of problems, but that wasn't because of the buyers, because of the seller who wasn't I, genuine. I can imagine one problem is also that the seller will say, yes, yes, I stay on, because that obviously will increase the purchase price and will reduce the retention. But then as we are a few months into the two-year period, the principal disappears quite quickly and is a lot more on the golf course than in the office and the handover doesn't happen as smoothly as it was supposed to be. Has that been a common problem? Absolutely. Because um, how do you motivate the principal? He is selling. He's on his way out. He wants to retire. Unless it's somebody who generally just cares about their client. But, yeah, I can imagine it can be quite hard to keep the old principal in the office and away from the golf course. It's the retention. If he wants his retention, then he has to help with the transition. 
If he doesn't help with the transition, he's on the golf course, then he's going to lose his retention. He's going to lose clients and he'll lose his retention. Okay, that's, that's the where motivator. the motivation is. So, so the retention can anywhere can be anywhere from twenty percent to forty percent, and it can be anywhere from one year to two years. So, for the purchaser, the longer it is, the better it is. So, two, over two years is good. And the lower the upfront, the better it is, or the higher the retention, the better it is for them. Yes, a perfect deal. So to only talking in very general terms, a perfect deal would be a two-year handover period with a 40% retention. Correct, correct, 40% or more often mm. you can get. I'm doing one at the moment with one of my coaching clients and she she's in Brisbane and she's just bought a, a parcel fees and um, she's negotiated 50% upfront and 25% per year over two years. How does that work? Okay, so she pays yes, okay. So she pays fifty percent up front mm -hmm. and then twenty-five percent after the One first year, year yes. and then twenty-five percent after the second year. Correct. It's the perfect situation. And the and the vendor comes over for those two years. He or she spends three months doing a handover for free, and then after that she gets paid, or the vendor gets paid for a, a salary for uh, helping for the with, the, with the handover. They're helping with the handover. Is that common <clears throat> if you say you work full time for three months? And then we just pay you by time? Yes. And then is it usually a fixed time or do you say you just come as needed and then you tell us how many hours you were in the office it's, and then we pay that? It's all negotiated. I see. But yeah. what do you usually go for? There's no sort of standard, but mm. they need to – you need them more initially and less later on. So initially, you know, you, they might come four days a week or even five days a week. And eventually, you know, they, they'll drop down in the second year. They might have even drop down to two or three years. But there's no standard. It's just depending on how fast you can transition, how big the parcel fees are. Obviously, the bigger the parcel fees, the longer he or she needs to stay on. The smaller the parcel fees could, could only take a few months to transition. Yes. How do you handle the uh, CGT implications? Because when the seller is going for the 15-year exemption, the sale must be in connection with their retirement. If they stay on for two years... Oh, no, that's, that... that's a separate issue. They're employed as an employee. Okay. Once they've sold, they've signed the contract, that's the trigger. Okay, so afterwards the... they are just employed as a consultant. Yes, Hence so... the 15-year uh, exemption is Correct. not at risk. Correct. It's, it's okay. a... It's on exchange of contracts when that kicks in, the 15 years and all the rest of the CGT um, considerations. And then uh, the rest is they're on unemployment. They're an employee. So it's a separate issue. And the, the fact that it's transitioned over two years, that doesn't matter. It's on the it's exchange of contracts. It's just a consulting contract yeah. in yes. those two years. Welcome back. I thought it was interesting that in Ed's view, the clients you get through acquisitions are often more loyal clients than the ones you get through organic growth, talking of rubber cup and crystal glass clients. In the next episode, episode 203, Ed Chen will talk more about buying parcels of fees. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.